Hey, hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and I was just having a little chat with my fellow panelists uh, prior to, to pressing record on this, and we were pointing out that this is now the eighth season that Talking Foosball, since its legendary fusion out of uh, three other precursor podcasts, occurred many, many years ago, actually eight years ago. So I think... Terry DeFellin and Nick Vildhagen, we know what we're doing when it comes time to wrap up a season. And, and you know, the 2019-20 season was a completely insane season for so many reasons, many out of the, the control of the Bundesliga itself. But still, I think we have it in us to wrap up this season. What do you all think? We do. We do. And uh, you know what? I'm still... Um Massively relieved from from last night's result, which uh, you know I, I had to celebrate with a bit of uh, scotch, which uh, you know I drink maybe once or twice a year. <laughs> and schnapps, and beer, and maybe a nah, little uh, nah, prosecco. Nah, was, you know, no, no, a parent of, t- of two small boys, so uh, <laughs> absent, yeah. Crystal meth. Um, but yeah, I, I had I had a bit of uh, <laughs> I had a bit of crystal meth. But yes. it's legal up in Norway. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Don't. <laughs> Health is a health disclaimer. Don't do crystal meth, kids. It, uh, it, you know, it, it gives you a good buzz, but you get a chippy tummy in the end. Nah, but um, you know, I had I had a bit of scotch just to to celebrate staying in the league, and um, you know, I, I I do I do feel that Florian Kofeld summed it up well when he said that it, it was a shit season, but it had sort of a happy end for Vertebrain. For sure, for sure. I, I, I definitely had to think about you when I saw Werder Bremen, you know, get that early goal slash own goal in the, uh, you know, second leg of the relegation playoff after really playing pretty poorly in the first leg and and then almost mess it up at the end. It was, it was, uh, they they put you through hell. They did. It was, it was truly nail biter because, um, I mean, that, that finish by Norman uh, Toyokov, uh, that first goal in the third minute, which, uh, I actually didn't get to see live because um, somehow the Norwegian broadcaster thought it was more important to show the end of Oxford United against Portsmouth, <laughs> which, you know, come on, come on. Massive game. What the fuck, man? Well, you know, you you can't cut away from a game when it's still going on. No, you on, can't. You know, it's, it's just a rule, man. Yeah, man, you can't do that. Well, I mean, what 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 really annoyed me is that I, I do get my Bundesliga matches through their streaming services. So they uh, wanted to show this game on one channel, but they moved it to another. So what they didn't do is that they didn't move the stream to the other channel. So I still got to watch the Oxford United game, which, I mean, it's smashing that they don't cut away from games and that they move the game to another channel. And that flexibility, bravo to them. But, you know, this has probably been the most important game in Vertebrae's history over the last 10 years. And you bloody morons don't have the technical ability to just change the channel of the fucking stream I was going to watch. Come on! Well, uh, do, do you know what happens that was that re- is, is you get you get you get TV execs and 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 and, and uh, technicians walking into hospitals going, "You nurses don't know shit. You don't <laughs> want to put that patient over there. You want to put them over there." That's how it that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to the defense of the uh, television programmers uh, guild is always. Terry DeFellin. Yeah, so clearly uh, Nick Vildhagen's still pretty hot 
under the collar. You know, it, during the course of this episode, we're going to be talking about Verita Bremen and their troubles and their, you know, their happy ending. We're going to talk about um, the fact that Bayern more or less strolled to the title uh, with their very, very strong uh, Rückrunde in the Bundesliga. We'll be talking about, um, you know, some of the other players and coaches and uh, executives who really, you know, played a blinder, as it were, this season, getting things uh, ready. And we're going to also, you know, handle some some listener questions because, you know, we love you. We'll be right back. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we normally talk about uh, the, the match day that has just gone. Um, there was no match day that has just gone, unless you really want to think about the three games that happened over the course of the weekend, which technically none of which are Bundesliga matches. We're talking about the first and the second legs of the uh, relegation playoff, which uh, pitted Werder Bremen against uh, Heidenheim of the second division. And, of course, uh, the German Cup final, the DFB-Pokal final. Bremen came out ahead in the, the relegation uh, playoff. That means they get to stick around for another year and hopefully uh, get out of their cycle of you know flirting with relegation every other year or so. And of course, Bayern Munich were the winners in the DFB Pokal final, defeating uh, Leverkusen. What was it, four two in the end? Uh, you know, didn't really sort of uh, express how dominant I felt Bayern were in that game. That. Didn't exactly captivate me, um, but I, I really do think that the place where we should start is talking about these two teams, which is to say the tops and the bottoms of the league. In deference to uh, Mr. Vildhagen, who is, uh, of course, with us today and is uh, a noted Bremen fan, I really want to start with Bremen. And I think that what is going on with this team, both this season and, you know, in a, in a somewhat longer arc than that... It's pretty interesting. And and the question that listener and, of course, sometime panelist Ronan Murphy posed to us is, where do Bremen go from here? Just to set the stage, this was their worst season in really quite some time. Worst season probably since the one that they went down in about 30 years ago. But there have been problems um, going on for the last several years. There's been some recruitment trouble. There's been some turnover in coaching. There's been some question as to whether their current coach, Florian Kofeld, is the guy that some folks thought he was a year ago when he was named coach of the year. There's been some questions, you know, about whether the direction of this club is anything but down. Because let's face it, when I got to Germany, you know, what, it's friggin' 14 years ago now, Bremen were the second power. In, in German football, and they remained that for another few years, basically ever since Mesut Ozil left. And I don't want to say it's all because of him, or that's, but you know, that's where the breaking point was in, 20, in 2010. Bremen went from being a fearsome team who, you know, most, most teams didn't want to play because they were going to get beat, to slowly turning into just another Bundesliga club, and, and to where they are today, you know, they were a nailed on relegation candidate up until, you know, the last day of the season, just about. I mean, where do they go from here, Nick? <laughs> there are only two ways, up or down, really. Well, listen, uh, yes, Werder Bremen have only been relegated once before. Uh, that was exactly 40 years ago. Oh, yeah, 40, mm. yeah. <laughs> you get old, you, you start thinking that 1980 is not that long. No, it wasn't. Um, but, but, I mean, yes, you make a good point, because it's, it's crazy to think that in 2010, when the German national team enthused the, the entire world with, uh, you know, youthful playing, with the youthful playing style, with uh, a lot of young players, the team that actually had the second most national team players in the Bundesliga was Werder Bremen just behind Bayern München. And since 
that happened 10 years ago, an awful lot has gone wrong with the club. You, you know, you can't just get away from that. I mean, back then, if we go the long road, we can, we can start at, you know, saying that Bremen maybe stuck a little bit too long with Klaus Alves and Thomas Schaaf, uh, who Klaus Alves had lost his touch, uh, Thomas Schaaf uh, was maybe a little bit too long at the club. He, he stayed there for 14 years, which which is incredible. But in the end, uh, Werder Bremen, they um, turned into sort of the, a side fighting relegation or being a mid-table side, you know, sort of varying on, on the seasonal form from year to year um, under Thomas Schaaf. And they've stayed that way ever since. And having had a lot of wrong coaching appointments hasn't helped. I think I think Robin Dutt was the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Victor Skripnik and Alexander Nuri, they were, you know, uh, not really the most inspiring coaches. Uh, Herter, your team, they've had a bit of Nuri this season and that really hasn't worked out too well for them. I mean, you probably could say a thing or two about Alexander Nuri. Limited, limited abilities. Very limited. I mean, I, I listened to an interview of uh, with uh, Rune Jarstein, uh, Rune Jarstein on a Norwegian podcast, and he said what Nuri basically did is that he did a lot of you know training matches. There wasn't like any in detail work leading up to match days, and and you know he didn't bother with that. And uh, you know these days that um, that really doesn't give you the results that you want. Um, so Bremen really have. Um, had a big belief in promoting guys from from the inside ever since Robin Dutt left. And, you know, the results have been a mixed bag, to say the least. Now they thought they did have a good coach on their hands in, in Florian Kofeld, who uh, at Verde is considered to be one of the biggest coaching talents in within Germany. And they might very well be right, because, I mean, he was he was named coach of the year last year. Let's not forget that. But then again, there have been a lot of mistakes that were made in the run-up to the season. I think the signings by Frank Bauman have been absolutely dreadful. Uh, getting Irma Toprak on a very expensive deal with uh, you know a loan with a buying clause that needed to be triggered as long as Werder stayed in the league was probably the wrong move because Irma Toprak has pretty much not been playing all season long. Same with Leonardo Bittencourt, who has been... I mean, he has got... Some he got some important goals for Werder Bremen. He got that winning goal against Freiburg. He got that winning goal um, two match days afterwards as well. I don't remember the opponent, but uh, you know he he got he got a couple of really important goals for them. But other than that, he hasn't done an awful lot of good all season long. And if you take a look down the squad, it's you you just see that there are too many players who are just too old. The side is too old, too slow. Additionally, all the injuries, Voda have had the most injuries all season long. They haven't helped and they haven't figured out what to do about those injuries. I mean, eight players, eight players have gotten injured again during the rehab phase. I mean, getting injured during your rehab phase is a bit like, um, uh, what's the equivalent of that? I mean, it's a bit like getting drunk of water. It, it really shouldn't happen. So there have been a lot of problems within the club, within the different departments of the club. The scouting has been shit. The medical staff haven't done, you know, a top-notch, top-notch job, really. So you have to feel sorry for Florian Kofeld, given the circumstances he has he's had to work under. 
I don't think that all uh, that the poor season is his fault entirely. And what what really sort of struck me with Werder Bremen is that the the entire club seemed to be in denial for much too long about the situation they were facing. I mean, they were talking about getting to Europe during the winter break after it gathered a measly 14 points from 17 matches. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing we've seen from so many big clubs that have gone down over the last decade. I mean, it, it can be Hamburg or Stuttgart or Hertha or Eintracht, these clubs that sort of tell themselves, oh, we're, we're too good to go down, our squad is too good, we'll sort it out in the second half of the season. And by the time they realize what's going on, it's it's either too late and they go down or they end up having to save themselves in the relegation match. And it's just, it's an ugly thing. It's a, it's a spiral that, you know, for your sake, you know, you, you don't want to get, too, too many spins down that spiral. No, you don't. I mean, Werder, Werder really picked themselves up a little bit after that 4-1 defeat against Leverkusen. I was, on, I was on a Norwegian podcast after that defeat talking about Werder Bremen and talking about the season. And uh, at that point, I was asked, do you think Werder Bremen is going down? And I said, of course they are. I didn't see Popsicle's chance in hell of, you know, Werder Bremen surviving this. Did you have any more faith, uh, Terry, as, as someone who was a bit more neutral? I mean... Uh, it, it definitely looked dark for them, but um, you know their their rivals were not really good either. At that point, they were six points behind uh, the relegation playoff spot with one game in hand. But I think I, I mean I certainly knew they had it in them because I mean I remember the DFB Pokal game against um, against Borussia Dortmund, and they were they were it was a it was a case of you know who are you and what have you done with with the the real Werder Bremen because I mean they played brilliantly uh, and they outplayed for large parts of the game they outplayed Dortmund and you just thought well you guys are just a bunch of frauds you're you know you're playing okay in the cup but you're you, you know you're, you're absolute you know dog mess in, in in the league and and but but you know with that in mind you're thinking well they are probably capable of mustering themselves out of this difficult situation but I have to say after the Mainz defeat I really thought that that would be that I thought they would that their, their, their morale would be just so low that they wouldn't they wouldn't do it but fortunately they had Cologne in the final game of the season and I think that you know Cologne were just so abject uh, after the restart you know having you know, clearly you know got the flip-flops out super early you know that 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 I think that they were moderately fortunate to play you know a, a, a team as unmotivated as that as that FC side, so so that you know, in the in the very very narrow sort of like window that they had to survive, I I I, I always felt that they they could certainly do. It, although I mean, what you would never be surprised if they if they didn't. I mean, so just to speak to to, to Nick's broader point, I mean, he's 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 he said an awful lot, and I'm I'm not really minded to disagree with any of it. But um, I mean, it, it, I think it just goes to show you look at they've had some financial problems with the Roman. It's true. Um, they're not the only traditions grind to have these kind of financial problems, but you know I also am of the view that you know with the right people in 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 charge of the club, you know they they can turn them around fairly quickly. You know you you look at seems after what Nick's been saying and given the history of Werder Bremen, you know you you have to classify them as a kind of middle class club these days. You know as a mid table club. I mean and they sort of like sit there, and if they have a good season, they're they're pushing for Europe maybe pushing for a cup. If they have a terrible season, you know, they're worried about relegation and, you know, see also Eintracht Frankfurt and up until this season, see also to Berlin or I think that they've got a, a new narrative to tell. <laughs> but if you, if you get, uh, if you get the right people at the helm, 
um, with the right recruitment strategy, you can probably turn this around relatively quickly, I think. You know, within a matter of years, I think you can turn it around really good. I don't think it's a lost thing. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think certainly that Bauman has to consider his position. Uh, and I think you start from there. I, I wouldn't get rid of the coach. I think they've invested too much emotionally in him apart from anything else. I think that would be a mistake uh, to get rid of him at this point. Yeah, I, I feel like you've seen in a, in a number, number of other clubs, you, you brought up Hertha as one, but I, I could also bring up recent years of history for for Eintracht or for Cologne, um, clubs that really do have a lot of tradition, a lot of fans, a lot of sort of, um, you know, they got a stable base within the community, but they are also extremely volatile in terms of like where uh, they position themselves uh, in terms of who's, who's in charge. And like, if you put the wrong people in charge, the wrong sporting director, the wrong coach, the wrong chairman, things can go bad quickly. And to me, you know, there's, there's nothing that's wrong with Bremen that, you know, either some sort of cash injection a la Hertha or hiring the right people, which is basically how, how Eintracht have become a much more, a much stronger, more robust club, a club that has, has gone into Europe and, and beaten big, big teams by, you know, getting Freddy Bobic and uh, Adi Huta or, you know, his predecessor, Niko Kovac. I mean, if you can get someone who seems to know what they're doing in as a sporting director, which I don't believe Frank Baumann does. I mean, his, his purchases, you, you mentioned two of them, uh, you know, being Toprak and uh, Bittencourt, who, you know, now the bill is coming due for them and they're staying in the league. And the same is going to go for the likes of, of Davy Zelka if they stay in the league for another year. I don't know what the deal is exactly with Kevin Folk, but he's another guy who, you know, Baumann seems to want to go out and buy established average to above average Bundesliga players and just hope that they'll turn into better players due to the situation that they're in in Bremen. And most of them have gotten worse. I think I think the purchase of uh, Kevin Fogg wasn't a bad one. I think he's one of those leaders on the pitch. He was, of course, the only player on a loan which didn't have a buying option, which... <laughs> You know, it's um, shame that it's a, it's a shame. I mean, Werder Bremen should uh, would do very well to keep him around because um, what Florian Kofeld demurred during the winter break is that um, the atmosphere within the squad was too nice. I mean, there were too many people who um, were nice with, with each other. Nobody was sort of like trying to uh, put the finger where it hurts, uh, put the finger into the wound, as the Germans would say, um, just to you know stir something up and get in a reaction because everybody was most, mostly concerned with getting along with one another and having a squad of 22, 23 people who are mostly concerned to have a good time, that can be a recipe for disaster. And Kevin Fogt actually came in and stirred things up and uh, he turned into a leader towards the end of the season and uh, put in some really decent performances. So um, Kevin Fogt, I wouldn't mentioned among those bad purchases but yes Davy Selke definitely a bad purchase uh, the deal there is that Voda have to dish out 10 million euros if they stay in the league next season if they reach Europe they actually have to put dish out 15 million euros for a striker who has um, not really European material if we're being honest here yeah but get, getting to Europe is worth 5 million to you isn't it is it, it, it would be but um I don't think you are going to get there with Davy Selke to... Uh, it's kind of academic, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is, it is, yes. So it's, it's going to be 10 million... You would get there in spite of Davy Selke. Exactly. <laughs> and um, due to him. I mean, 
when it comes to those purchases, I mean, Niklas Fulkrug, the um, purchase for the attack. Um, yes, decent player. Bremen passed. Great guy. Has a good relationship with Florian Kohfeldt. Um, Florian Kohfeldt likes him a lot. But the thing about him and Toprak, both of these guys were too injury prone. You should never have gone for them. Frank Baumann has now made a few purchases for the next season, and they seem to be, you know, younger players with an upside. Who are these players? Uh, it's an Ecuadorian guy called Mina, uh, attacking midfielder, uh, who uh, has done, you know, who attracted a fair amount of interest from even bigger clubs uh, during the Under-20 World Cup. But he hasn't played for, for his club side for half a year because he uh, basically refused to sign the contract extension. So he's a little bit out of practice probably in terms of match fitness but the upside there is that he's considered to be one big talent Oscar Schoenefeller who came from Mainz's uh, under 19 side uh, Mainz were keen to keep him around uh, winger then there's Romano Schmid returning from loan in Austria where he's done brilliantly well um, even uh, even uh, created a bit of a YouTube hit when he uh, rounded Oscar Vant and uh you know, played the ball between his legs and uh, crossed the ball in for a brilliant goal for Wolfsburg at RC during uh, during Euro- Europa League match. So, I mean, it, it doesn't look bad in terms of getting these guys along, but would you count on them carrying a team around? Probably not. I mean, you the loss of Max Kruse was never really compensated by Werder Bremen and, you know, having Osako stepping into that role was probably not the best of ideas. And I don't know who has to take the blame for that. I mean, it might very well have been uh, Florian Kohfeldt who said to Bauman, I think Yuya can do that job and he can do that well. And Bauman said, okay then. So I don't have to worry about getting in a replacement then. So what Verda really needs to do now and what they are going to do now is that they are going to analyze this season from... uh, start to finish, see where they've gone wrong in all different departments, where they can improve. And this needs to be brutal. And some people probably have to leave their jobs. And Frank Baumann would be a a candidate to actually lose his job at uh, the end of that process. Yeah, they just need to find some up-and-coming uh, sporting director from the Austrian Bundesliga room <laughs> sticking me. <laughs> that is how you fix things in the Bundesliga these days that's how you do it yeah that's how you do it you just you, you've subscribed to an Austrian Bundesliga podcast listen to some of the names that are being banded around say like we'll have him and then give him give him a million pound a year contract then you're away yeah where, where could we possibly find a podcast about that other Bundesliga <laughs> okay I guess before we leave this this Werder topic uh, behind and I think there's really a lot of blame to go around and a lot of shame to go around although you got you know you got out of it without without having to go down so you know kudos and all that. The one thing that I did sort of think about uh, as the season was coming to an end and as you guys, you know, got away from from the the ditch that had been dug uh, in in your name was that really looking back on the season, despite the fact that there were some really bad games from Werder, there were some good ones too. And looking at the team that went down in your place, which is to say Fortuna Dusseldorf, really after – the first, say, 10 or 12 games of the season, Fortuna looked pretty bad, um, or at least looked nothing more than just 
intermittently hard to beat. And you, you think about these players who sort of underperformed for Verde this year, and, and you know you can say that about your Yu Yu Osakos or about uh, even Rashitsa, even though he had some injury problems, etc. But like either one of those guys would be Fortuna's best player by a mile. <laughs> And, and that's with a, with all due respect to Eric Tommy, all due respect to Adam Bocek, you know Oliver Fink. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there's talent in this side, and it, and it, in the end, the talent did what it should do, which is get the job done. Yeah, barely. I mean, if we look at those two matches against Heidenheim, I think Heidenheim. Uh, I think Mike Schnatter summed it up really well. We played two matches against the Bundesliga side. We didn't lose either one of them, and still we don't go up, which feels pretty brutal. And yep. uh, Frank Schmidt, the coach, added that the only thing that helps about now is to get fucking drunk. And things are going to be worse tomorrow, he said, but at least you have done something, which is uh, a point of view I can sympathize with. But... um. If you look at those two matches, Werder were really lucky to get that own goal. I mean, Norman Toykov with that finish. I don't think I've seen any Werder striker strike a shot that sweet all season long. What about Josh Sargent against Hertha Berlin? <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe that one. But, I mean, when it comes to Werder Bremen, their goal production, they had a 5-1 win against Paderborn. They had a 6-1 win on the last day of the season against uh, FC Köln. That Those were 11 goals in two matches. And in the other 32 matches, they produced 31 goals. So... If you take those two matches out of the equation, they actually produced less than one goal per match. So up front, Werder Bremen have been really dire. They've conceded almost 70, 70 goals, which is, um, you know, almost two goals per match, more than two goals per match, actually. So nothing has really been working out for them, um, apart from in a couple of matches. And, you know... If you look at the Paderborn result, Paderborn were at that point done and dusted. They were pretty much down. So they were playing against the Deadman and walking. Cologne, they had gotten their flip-flops out, like we said earlier. And um, yes, so that that was that. And when it came to those two matches, Werder were really lucky to get an own goal and to, you know, get a counter-attack in. Uh, and Heidenheim, they, they really had their chances and they wasted a lot of them. So... Um, I, I, I guess it's really fortunate to stay in the league. And in regards of Fortuna Düsseldorf, yeah, they they are side with which lacks talent. They had the thing in their own hands against Union Berlin, and they wasted that chance. And honestly, yes, I don't. I, I do think Fortuna deserve to go down. I do think Werder deserve to go down as well, uh, because I'm actually in against the relegation playoff because I think it's um, it's unfair to the Bundesliga two sides. If yeah. you compare the two budgets of Werder Bremen and Heidenheim, Heidenheim spends 50 million euros on wages, Werder spends 70 million euros on yeah. wages. So that quality barely, barely, barely made, made the difference in the end. I think the official stance of the Talking Foosball podcast has, has uh, <laughs> it's been expressed for the most part is that the relegation playoff is... Uh, is a bit of a sham. Um, one, one, one last thing. I, I, the Verdo Ultras actually put up a banner in front of the Vesa Stadium saying that they were against the relegation playoffs as well, which um, <laughs> must have been a bit of a kick in the balls for the players. Uh, yeah. saying, you know yeah. what? I, we think, we are your fans, and we think you should be relegated by now. And, <laughs> and, to and be, you know, I, I, I completely agree with them. 
the ultras, uh, God love the ultras, and they're they're right about a lot of things, but they are against a lot of things. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like a congenital condition. Let's let's leave this this sort of wallowing in in uh, you know the disgust that that you know <laughs> remains behind of a, a terrible season. Let's talk about Bayern uh, because. You know, the narrative that has surrounded this team is that, you know, this is a team that, that are sort of, it's inevitable that they become the champions. It's been the eighth season running uh, during which that has been the case. There, of course, were moments during the first half of the season when they, you know, were, were well off the pace. They were beaten soundly by Eintracht uh, during the waning days of, of uh, you know, Niko Kovac's reign. And then things did not look exactly smooth sailing for them. But, you know, looking back at this season, looking back at how they played after Hansi Flick took over, and especially in the second half of the season, um, when, you know, what they finished off, they they finished the second half of the season with 16 straight wins or something like that. I mean, this was... 17, actually, yeah. 17, yeah. The entire, <laughs> the entire back half of the season <laughs> was W's. Um... That is a hugely emphatic way to uh, to win the title, and it wasn't just results. I mean, this was a team that pretty much ground other teams to a pulp during the second half of the season, and this happened with a fair bit of of changing players around. I mean, you know, Nicolas Zule went down uh, in sort of the latter part of of the the Hinrunde, and everybody thought that this was going to be a huge problem because he was their sort of, you know, he had turned into their, you know, Abwehrchef. Who knew, who knew that Jerome Boateng could play football? Indeed, who who knew? I mean, he was he was so far over the hill and and David Alaba, I mean, he can't play center back and, you know, Alfonso Davies, he's just some kid from Canada. Like, what are they going to do? I think Bayern's eighth title in a row speaks to the sort of systemic issues that we have within football right now. Because yes, I tweeted about this earlier because <laughs> these days, uh, 52% roughly of the international TV revenue from the Bundesliga TV's deal goes to four clubs. Bayern, Dortmund, uh, Schalke, and Bayer Leverkusen. A team like Werder Bremen, for instance, gets less than 2%. Werder Bremen has been in the Bundesliga for all seasons but one. Which doesn't strike me as particularly fair, but the way the international TV money is distributed is that what counts is your participation in European competitions. So being part of European competitions gives you more money and you get more money from those competitions as well, which sort of creates an ever, which creates sort of a, like a spiral of two, three, four teams getting more money than the rest of the league all the time. And the rest of the league sort of always lagging behind, always having to, you know, looking for young, exciting players to develop whilst the other four or five clubs can sort of buy established players and, um, you know, have finished products in their sites, and uh, that, in the end, is going to get you better results. Um, add to that that the uh, commercial revenue for Bayern is, um, they actually outdo Borussia Dortmund when it comes to commercial revenue by almost, I think, three mil, 300 million euros. 
Yeah, just about. I, and I, 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 I noticed this exchange between you and, and your, your follower slash pal, I don't know, uh, Mats Rutland, uh, and yeah. was saying, like, you know, the TV money matters, but the real disparities are actually in the scale of the clubs. I mean, Terry, you know this better than anybody, that, like, Borussia Dortmund have done almost everything right for 10 or 15 years, both on the pitch and off of it, building a, a global fan base, building a culture of winning, which hasn't, to be fair, only turned into winning a few times. But, you know, it's very hard to compete with Bayern because Bayern just have such a huge head start. I mean, the, the scale of the club, I mean, it's it. the difference is not quite double the size, but it's not that far off from double the size in terms of revenue, Bayern versus Dortmund. It's People talk about them being on even a vaguely equal footing are wrong. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Though there is a there's a there's a gulf between the Bayern and, and Dortmund, and and then I would suggest that there's probably a gap between Dortmund and the rest. But I would imagine that that gap probably closes, particularly with Rasen and Balsport Leipzig. I mean, Bayern's success is built upon a bedrock of decades of winning stuff, um, and they have also been able to take advantage of the commercial opportunities, including international TV rights, domestic TV rights and sponsorship in order to to, to, to build up a, a, a huge pile of cash that they can sit on. Uh, and, and they've had a succession of planners and administrators and managers, coaches, players who can come in and are all at the top of their game, all because Bayern can afford, can afford the best. Uh, and they developed a, 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 a winning culture and a culture that people want to be associated with. And, and that's why Bayern are where they are. And, 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 and any Bayern fans listening to this will just say, look, it's because we're really, really good and we have been really, really good since the 1970s. And that is unquestionably the case. But the, the question is, well, that, that, isn't, that, isn't, the, that isn't in dispute. What, what I think is in dispute is the future, is you know, to what extent... Do do you end up just simply perpetuating um, this dynasty because the money just keeps coming in and there's no opportunity for anybody to really to be able to catch up, even if they like Dortmund do more or less, you know, the odd Peter Stoger here or there, notwithstanding, <laughs> you know, more or less do everything do everything right, um, and yeah, build up a global brand, you know, uh, 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 and, and you know, do all make all the right mostly the right football decisions and almost all the right commercial decisions and they're still miles away. Um, and I don't want to, you know, sit here complaining about how this is ruining the Bundesliga and it, you know, it's, it's, it's damaging for the Bundesliga. And, yeah, but but I mean, I mean it, it's as an international spectacle, I think it is worth just, just bearing in mind that, you know, the domestic TV deal uh, uh, value of the new TV deal domestically is lower. The international deal will be significantly lower, I think. And so, you know, that money is going to get shrunk somewhat and that's going to create more more problems because the pie is shrinking, but the the proportion as to who gets it is not altering as a consequence. And I think from a sporting point of view, there have to be questions, I think, to, about whether or not it's wiser to look at the Bundesliga as a collective, acknowledge that all teams in the Bundesliga have a part to play in this, that there can be no success without failures, no winners without losers, and then you start to redistribute the income accordingly. 
Yeah, we, we got two two questions from listeners. Uh, one being uh, John, who is at Beer Deutsches uh, on Twitter, asking, is there anything the league can do to help other clubs come closer to Bayern without sacrificing Bayern's overall performances in Europe? And then, you know, a- another question from, uh, you know, Draxy. There's three E's at the end of that Twitter handle. Uh, why don't they remove the 50 plus one rule? Uh, Bayern is too much for the other clubs. Clearly, don't the other clubs have any issues with it? They're just participating year in and year out. Let somebody fund you. Other clubs should agree. Why don't we address that one first? Because that is like a serious third rail question, which I think there's there's some pretty uh, clear answers as as to why not. I mean, I, I think Nick, you. I think you probably got some pretty vociferous uh, <laughs> ideas about why that might not be good. Um. Well, let's. Yeah, let's start with a fifty plus one rule. Um. We do have a case in action where the fifty plus one rule doesn't really apply, and that is RB Leipzig. Sure. RB Leipzig. Um. Then just got one hundred twenty million euros of debt erased from Red Bull, which was sort of like, uh, you know, they portrayed it as something of like a. Uh, it was sort of like uh, no big deal. Uh, we just got 120 million years less debt, but you know, Red Bull gets something in return. But what that was in return is not quite clear. But it wasn't wasn't unfair or you know, skewing the competition or anything like that. So um, yeah, you know, nothing to see here. I, I would like to do that with my bank. Uh, you know, I mean, my I have a loan on my house. I do have a loan on this and that. I do have student debt. So, I mean, why why can't they just raise my you know loan on the house and say it's it's no big deal? Does Red Bull not think you're that entertaining? Yes, exactly. It's it, Red Bull doesn't doesn't think that about me. But you know, we, we do have that, and even that team struggles to keep up with Bayern, and that's because. The revenue stream that Bayern can create and has created and the owners that Bayern has managed to brought in over the years, they bring in so much money that even a corporate heartless and enterprise like Red Bull cannot compete with that. Yeah. And that I mean I mean there yes, there are loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of billionaires who think that football's are magnificent playthings. Magnificent playthings, but Look at England. I mean, whenever one of those guys takes over a side like Aston Villa, what happens to Aston Villa? Do they go up the table? Do they suddenly turn into a Champions League side? Of course they don't. No, I mean, I think if a bunch of billion, if a billionaire took over Werder Bremen right now, Werder Bremen would still probably lose more matches than they would win next season. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, and, but I mean, I suppose the the thinking is is that if if you get the going back to what we were saying earlier, if you get the right people in charge and you've got the right you've got the, the money that comes in, then you end up being more like Bayer Leverkusen, who have, you know, a, 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 a generous stipend comes in from their from their parent company buyer and and um and they have a tradition of a robust football club management going all the way back to the nineteen nineties and Renier Kalman. And so, you know, if you do it right and you spend the money well, then you will challenge and in Leverkusen's case you challenge above your station. So there are arguments for ending the fifty plus form rule from a sporting point of view, very definitely. And there are also commercial arguments and and, and there's also perhaps there are people who say that, you know, there's a inevitability to about it, you know, that that, that you know it's it's There's a legal point of view as well to take in yeah, yeah. because I mean d- I mean, so, several people have stated that the uh, 50 plus one rules against uh, European Union competition laws. Yeah, I mean, indeed. You know, and indeed, it seems highly unlikely that, that, that the DFL, the DFB, Germany in, as, a, as a collective, because they love the 50 plus one, well, the sort of community participation that it, that it enshrines. They're never going to get rid of it 
by themselves. They're never going to volunteer to get rid of it. But one day, if someone takes it to court high enough, they might have to get rid of it. Indeed. But I mean, I mean, you should be aware of what you give up if you give up the 50 plus one rule. And that is where my problem, where I start having problems because, I mean, you do give up fan participation. You turn clubs over to people who just regard them as playthings. I mean, who doesn't remember the owner of Cardiff City who said, well, you know, my mother thinks that red is a nicer color than blue, so we're going to change the shirts. I mean, th those are the sort of people you mean who are going to... the Bluebirds? Yes, yes. Uh, those are the sort of people who are going to buy football clubs. You know, Asian billionaires. And, I mean, if you... It's darker than that as well. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, you've got you've got there's a there's a club in England. I'm sure the listeners are aware there's a club in England that's currently currently on the verge of being taken over by a murderous regime. Uh, you know, and it becoming effectively a a, a a a a propaganda arm to that to that state, which is extremely dark. I don't think that. I would certainly not want, you know, to see the possibility of that happening well anywhere, but certainly, you know, uh, not not in the Bundesliga. And that is something that could certainly happen, you know, if you if you give up the 50 plus one rule and you don't impose fairly strict uh, fit and proper persons rules, which in fairness in England, the fit and proper persons rules are a disgrace. The rules in are Germany, not fit and proper. They might not be. Yeah, they are certainly not. Um, but I mean, in Germany, you'd expect that perhaps to be to perhaps to be different. But but I mean, as the as the lure of money keeps going in and it, and it keeps coming in, and as more clubs fail, and as it becomes necessary to relax the fit and proper ownership rules in order to allow failing clubs to be bought by bad actors and disreputable folk, then you know the the, the more that's likely to come. I mean, I, from a financial security point of view. From making certain that, that that fans have a football club to go to um, every other week, um, uh, and that the community has a valuable asset, a valuable asset to them, then the fifty plus one will, will guarantee all of that. The downside is is that if you arrive at a situation like you do in Germany, where you've got one club that has, you know, risen above everybody else to a level where they can't be caught then, well, I guess that's probably tough shit and you just have to figure out, you know, what the, what, what the trade-off is. Uh, I mean, to answer John's question, um, the answer, I think, is, is, is probably no because I don't believe, um, frankly, that, that, that Bayern or indeed, for that matter, Dortmund or, or Leverkusen or, you know, would, would, would agree to um, shifting the proportion of income away from them and towards smaller clubs, even if they did perhaps think that there was some wisdom in it. They're just not going to want to turn down that kind of money. And, and certainly not now. Um, I mean, when we're in the, in the middle of a, what is a, a global crisis, the, uh, the implications of which are, are still very much unknown. So I can't, so, so the answer I think is yes and no. I mean, that is the way to do it would be to, would be to, to equalize the, the, the TV money. So, so clubs get a, a better proportion of the money. Uh, but I, I mean, and unfortunately I, I I, I don't believe it's realistic. Again, it might even need to be imposed. I mean, yeah, uh, the thing is for Bayern and Dortmund and these sides is that they have to see that what brings in money is the fact that people think that they're watching an entertain, entertaining product and that people think that their clubs actually have a chance of, uh, you know, getting somewhere. And these days, we know that 
Bayern München are going to top the table at the end of the season, no matter what. I mean, who is going to bet against the ninth championship in a row for Bayern München next season? Certainly not me. No, certainly not. No, I mean Bayern would have to would would would, would have to blow it big time. I mean, yeah, I mean they, did, they did sort of. You would blow suggest it. that Hansi Flick is going to be there for another two or three years at least. And frankly, the way that he settled in there, it was like he—you wouldn't have believed that he was effectively a rookie coach in that. In that, I know he's not quite at that level. Yeah, you wouldn't believe that that he was new to that position. I mean, you know, the way he set that team up, and the way that he, the the the, the decisions that he's made, the the you know the the calmness and the assuredness with which he makes decisions. You know, I mean, like that is a that is a winning coach. I mean, arguably, Bayern have got the best coach in the league. And they've got the best players in the league. They've got the most money in the league. Yeah, why on earth wouldn't they win it? I mean, and Dortmund aren't likely to spend any money at all this season, apart from maybe you know twenty million on Jude Bellingham. But I don't think they're not they're, they're planning on spending any money this this summer. So I mean, you know, Dortmund are nowhere near as bad as people think they are under Lucien Favre, but they're never going to be able to bridge that gap. So yeah, Bayern definitely for the league hot take Bayern to win the league next season. <laughs> um, and, and within that lies a problem because, I mean, Bayern and Dortmund always say, and, and uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke uh, said this in an interview just recently, is that, you know, we bring asses into seats and, you know, our accomplishments should be rewarded through the TV money deals that we get. But then again, you wonder uh, how many TV viewers are going to be captivated by the Bundesliga if, the sh if shit stays the same. Yeah, yeah, and there is something also to be said for the fact that if the margin of of you know financial advantage of a club like Bayern vis-a-vis -vis even its closest competitors like Dortmund or you know financial terms anyway Schalke um, is a, a giant gulf. It's you know nearly a one hundred percent you know larger club than than those in, in financial terms, like. You know, no people who run businesses are not in the business of leaving money on the table. But, you know, if the TV deal money is in the grand scheme of things, I don't want to say chump change, but not that big. Like, you know, how much how much goodwill would they engender among other clubs and fans if they were just like, oh, yeah, we, let's just split it all even. It, you know, we're only losing like 15 million. Who cares? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... You know, that's like the, the, the cost of, you know, one player that we might buy in the last year of their contract or who we get on a free after they, they wait down their, their contract. Um, before we get so far into the sort of grand scheme things, I, I do want to sort of address something that's a bit closer to, you know, the, the on the field stuff with Bayern. And, and that's, you know, the update that we've had from this past week. It's something that um, the listener uh, with... Totally great Twitter name, the the Bechdel Tastic Van Dykes to watch out for. <laughs> it's you know Leroy Sané, uh, who ha of course has been sort of uh, out of action the entire season for Manchester City after having picked up that bad injury in the Community Shield, and having had rumors surrounding a move to Bayern at that time, uh, it's come to fruition. Bayern got a knockdown price, having waited uh, another season, waited for him to get better. It's an interesting move, not only in that uh, it, it sort of worked out well in the end for Bayern uh, financially, but you know, anytime Bayern buys a player from either the top tier of the Premier League or from you know Real or Barca, who is a, a player that one of those clubs actually wants to keep as opposed to, you know, your, your, your 
sort of cast off players, you know, your, your Hamas, your uh, Coutinho, you know, guys that probably they're just trying to pawn off on Bayern. I mean, it's a big deal. Like, do you see this? She asks, or he asks, I don't know which. Is Sané's move to, to the Bundesliga uh, actually doing something for the Bundesliga as, as a global force? Uh, and, and as for, as they say, doing football the way it should be. Well, I mean... TM follows that, uh, <laughs> follows that statement. Yeah, it just skews the balance furthermore. I mean, Bayern um, can get through Corona buying interesting players. Dortmund probably won't do. Uh, the teams behind Dortmund are probably looking more for talent than for, you know, established players. So, yeah, again, you wouldn't bet against a ninth Bayern championship in a row. But in terms of Bayern's chances to win the Champions League, uh, that ch- certainly should increase those chances. But, what you know, it's what, what's going to be interesting this summer is, is going to see if Alaba and Thiago indeed leave. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because that... In, it's not going to harm their chances to win the Bundesliga, I think, but it's going to, certainly going to harm their chances in winning the Champions League. Yeah. Because I think Thiago is really the player who makes their midfield tick. And as we talked about earlier, David Alaba has really been spectacular for them in defence. And, you know, did you see that free kick during the DFB Pokal final, which really wasn't that all that entertaining? That, that was some free kick. Mm. It was... Pretty entertaining for, you know, the, the, the two seconds that he was running up to it and it was in flight and then hit the, the side netting. It was pretty entertaining. It's weird. I mean, I feel like at a club like Bayern where basically you do nothing but win. I mean, David Alaba was just beginning his Bayern career and, and you know, may even have been on loan at Hoffenheim for one of the years that, that uh, Dortmund won the title. So for the most part, he has known nothing but winning the title at Bayern. And that's great. That's a super feeling, I'm sure. But as a player with ambitions, and, and players of his caliber always do ha- have ambitions, there's always been talk about his you know, ambition to be playing a, a somewhat more central role. He, you know, Before he got moved into uh, central defense, where he seems to be pretty happy, he was always asking if he could play defensive midfield or, or you know, as an eight, because that's where he plays for Austria and what he sort of grew up playing. I can imagine that a player like that <laughs> who's just won umpteen titles with Bayern, you know, might want to go win titles somewhere else. And there is not a single club in the world that would not leap at the chance to, to sign David Alaba. I don't care what, what club you are. He's probably better than whoever you got at one of the, you know, three or four positions that he plays very well. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, the same goes for Tiago. Um, I mean, there's a reason why Pep Guardiola said when he said that he wanted to sign Thiago. So Bayern officials asked him, well, is there anybody else who we could sign in instead of him? And Pep famously said, Thiago oder nichts. Thiago or nothing else. And if a player is held in such high regards by the guy who's probably one of the two best coaches in the world right now... um, it says an awful lot about the qualities of said player. Yeah, although, you know, after having a lot of rumor flying around Thiago in the last couple of weeks, things have cooled off significantly. I mean, his his mooted destination was, was Liverpool. Everyone was talking about, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp's late night WhatsApp sessions with, with Thiago. Um, but that maybe 
isn't materializing. I mean, we've already seen once this summer in the case of, of Timo Werner, uh, Liverpool pull out of a big money deal. And, you know, even the f- though the fact that Thiago is probably not uh, uh, thought of in terms of price tag at the same category as Timo Werner, that has probably as much to do with his age as anything else. Um, you know, Terry, is there is there actually a place for Thiago to go? I mean, he's a 29-year-old guy who gets hurt a lot, but when he plays, he's spectacular. Yeah, there's only a handful of clubs that could afford him, right? So, um, and... Uh, but I mean, you know, like Alaba, you know, he'll be likelihood he'll be better than whoever they've got. So, I mean, even I would probably suggest to you that the, you know, the 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 best the best teams in Europe right now are probably Bayern Munich and probably Liverpool, Manchester City, um, and I guess you could probably you could probably look to the the two Spanish clubs if you like. Although I think they're kind of misfiring ever so ever so slightly the the pair of them. That um, all of those clubs would benefit from that from from from, from Thiago, and I mean, you'd have to say from a somebody who watches a fair amount of English football, you know, I think he would genuinely improve uh, both Manchester City and Liverpool. Although it would be quite funny because Chelsea are spending a lot of cash at the moment, so maybe they might end up with him. And I know that that, that, that there's talk with Alaba that he might go to Chelsea, which I think is an odd move for Alaba because although. It's an odd, not an odd move from a financial point of view, but from a from a, a sporting point of view, you know, Chelsea still they've got a young coach and they're still making their way through. So I don't know whether or not that would be it would be a different kind of challenge, but but yeah, I mean the the issue I think would be, you know, uh, uh, yeah, he is going to be ex- he or he won't be as expensive as other players because he's twenty nine years old and he's had in the past a bit of an injury issue, although not so much recently. But I think the issue is just going to be who is who can actually match his ambitions. Um, you know, where does he go from there? I mean, maybe if it was like 30, 35 million quid, a lot of clubs could afford that. But, you know, who, you know, who is going to be able to appeal to him and say, come with us because we'll make you a better player and you can win even more stuff than you're currently winning right now. And there's only a few of those clubs. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when you get up into that stratospheric range of having, you know, put in some really good performances for a tip, tip, top club. You know, <laughs> your the market for you is is pretty pretty constrained, especially as you get up in years. All right, let, that's probably enough Bayern talk for the moment. Um, you know, we're all picking them for the, to win the title next year. You can you can book it. Why don't we talk a little bit about um, some of the teams who sort of um, performed well this season, but didn't quite hit the heights that Bayern did. We've had we had a couple of folks uh, reach out and ask uh, questions, not only about. Um, Leipzig. We had Andrew from Melbourne, Victoria, asking if uh, you know how, how how will they go next season? That's that's a very nice Australian construction. How will Leipzig go next season? How will they cope <laughs> without Werner? Uh, another question we had coming in from Aditya Balaram asking about uh, Wolfsburg, uh, what what we make of them and their. Uh, p- Abilities to maybe make a push for Champions League football if they can hold on to the likes of, uh, you know, Valt Weghorst and Zava Schlager. Ask about, you know, Maxi Arnold and whether he can, you know, sort of become a player that that can be more um, sort of central to this this team. Looking at these teams who are sort of um, playing very good football, but not really in that sort of title winning uh, 
stratosphere. And, and, and I, I feel a little bit funny saying that about Leipzig, uh, considering the way they started this season and how good they were. But down the stretch, they really didn't have it. Um, what do we make of, of those two clubs, those two plastic clubs, shall we say, uh, and, and their chances of, of taking things a little bit further next season? I think that uh, Leipzig was, will, will, will diminish slightly with the absence of, of Werner, uh, uh, irrespective of who they, they bring in or how they adjust without him. I just think he's such a influential, important player to them for so long that it's going to be, you know, a challenge for Julian Nagelsmann to just, you know, square that particular circle. Uh, and recruitment, I'm sure, will be will be will be available, and 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 they'll they'll certainly they'll, they'll certainly look to plug the gap. With money, um, but it will take a bit of time. So, I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't really expect Leipzig to be any better than they currently are, which is no bad thing. Again, as I say, I mean, as Nick pointed out, they've had a yeah, they've had a cosy amount of debt that's been written off uh, as well. So they're you know they're they're looking they're looking quite comfortable, and they strike me as a kind of t- the kind of setup that thinks, well, we've re- let's just consolidate what we have here, try and become a you know a, 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 a top four team. Um, see if we can beat out, you know, Gladbach or or or, or uh, um, a Bayer Leverkusen for uh, for 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 that third spot, second spot, um, and then yeah, see if we can give Dortmund a bloody nose and just go in there. And I think that that is a probably a you know if you're interested in in, in Leipzig, then that's probably a good a good good place to be. And uh, Wolfsburg, um, yeah. Uh, can they keep their can they keep their their best players is is the main thing is can they keep Weghorst? I don't know and uh, I mean Roussillon as well as a player as also I'd, men- I'd mentioned as well is a player that they that they they want to try and keep hold of they've got a nice tidy squad there um, and you know and a, and a promising coach so uh, yeah I I wouldn't imagine that I I I'm hesitant to see whether or not they could break in because that top five is pretty strong at the minute. Uh, and someone would have to kind of drop off, I think, in order for Wolfsburg to find their way in. Uh, but I mean, I certainly don't see them going too far backwards if they can keep hold of their players. I'm afraid I have no opinion on Maxi Arnold. Um, yeah, I mean, another guy for Wolfsburg who has been linked with a move is uh, Bricalo, uh, who's been absolutely key and vital for them. And, uh, you know, he said last season that he wanted to move. His contract was still lasting for some time. Wolfsburg didn't really find any buyers who were willing in to pay enough but that might change this summer so you might actually look at a scenario where Vekos gets picked up by Premier League side Bricalo leaves and uh, you know suddenly you are without two of your very very key players in regards of Arnold yes he is the sort of player who makes Wolfsburg tick he um he does play uh he has a great passing position he has a good positional awareness and he is uh uh, a guy who doesn't sh- shriek away from a challenge. So he's um, an all-round good holding midfielder, um, creative as well. But um, I'm afraid he's never sort of um, reached the sort of creative heights that would have made him interesting for a side like Dortmund or Bayern. And uh, in terms of wages from Wolfsburg to a side like Bayer Leverkusen or RB Leipzig, that wouldn't be too much of a difference for him. And he seems to thrive at Wolfsburg. He seems to like the club. He seems to enjoy himself there. And, uh, you know, why should he move then? Yeah. Why indeed? Yeah. I think if you're a low-key kind of guy, if you don't mind uh, just sort of 
turning up and playing football with a lot of other good players and not having to talk to the press a lot or, or worry about, um, you know, the sort of stuff that goes on around football. Wolfsburg is a pretty great place to play. It is. I mean, um, as long as you're not Max Kruse, it's mostly a good place for, for most players. <laughs> because if you're Max Kruse, you can be, you know, an hour down the road before you realize that you left the briefcase full of money back in Charlottenburg. Oh, if you're Nicholas Bantner, you're like, oh, shit, I just posted a picture of a Mercedes-Benz on my Instagram account. Yeah, uh, all right. Um, you know, we, we sort of promised each other that we were not going to go into the, uh, the, the, the sort of the depths of, you know, players and coaches and teams of the year. But we are going to honor uh, John McKenzie's, um, you know, request. This is the you know, maybe the, the second time in as many weeks as he's – attempted to sort of sneak, you know, to enforce a degree of, of Christian Streich uh, praise out of us. He's asking, I always bang on about this, but is there anything interesting to say about Freiburg? They've had another incredible season, but they very much go under the radar in the media. Is that because they're not interesting or just because they're not a big side? Yeah, I, I think that they, I think they are interesting. Um, I think they're definitely interesting. <laughs> they're very interesting. Um yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I've mentioned this before on the, on the podcast, but uh, the year Freiburg went up, um, Dieter Hoeneß, uh, the brother of Uli Hoeneß, uh, told the press that if Freiburg are going to stay in the league for more than one season, it shows that the rest of the Bundesliga has done everything wrong, and that's not going the to happen. lamented Dieter Hoeneß. And, you know, that well, was still alive, but I mean, for, for Hertha fans, he's dead. <laughs> In many meaningful ways, he's quite dead. Yes, uh, yes, you do have some experience with him. I mean, come on, give the give give, give the guy a break. He brought Marcelino and uh, Alex Alves to the club, um, and and burned the club with a lot of debt. But be that as that may, um, what Freiburg has done ever so well over the last 20, 30 years now is that they have developed talent. Um, a lot of players have come out from the Breisgau and what Freiburg has done under so many coaches is that they've played attacking, attractive football. And they've had two guys at the helm for many, many years. First Volker Finke and now it's Christian Streich. And they've stuck with them in the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga 2. And they've always relied upon, you know, producing talent and you know, being a sort of a feeder team for the other sides in the Bundesliga. They've also done awfully well when it comes to scouting. Uh, they've brought in a lot of interesting players from abroad. I mean, they, they went to Georgia and brought in three Georgian players uh, who, you know, set the Bundesliga light um, back in the 90s and early 2000s. And, um, you know, that that that's the way Freiburg rolls. They, they're not a side that sort of thinks about getting ever bigger and, you know, increasing their market share and building towards the Champions League because they know it's not their place and they know they're not coming from that sort of a town. It's um, I've been to Freiburg once. It's a small town. It's a lovely town. It's sort of a student's town. It's, um, you know, bicycles and uh, clubs that stay up, stay, you know, stay open until late, even on a Monday night. And, you know, in Christian Schreich, you do have the perfect coach for that sort of team because he embodies that city. He is from, you know, the area. And um, given that he still cycles to every training session, uh, 
you know, that he sort of embodies the entire spirit of the region. And um, again, I listened to an interview with a, with a Norwegian player, uh, Mats Mullerdeli, who played there for some time. And he said that Christian Streich is actually one of the, if not the very best coach he's ever had, because he's very specific. He breathes football and he knows an awful lot about football. And um, with that in mind, it's, it's not really surprising that Freiburg have fared so well over the last few years. Yeah, I think strike is very much the key um, uh, to all of this. I mean, there's an awful lot of great work that's done throughout the entire club to get the balance right, get the finances right, get the recruitment right, get the scouting right, uh, get the training, the facilities right, get it all together. Obviously, the conductor of all of this is Strike. He's the guy who picks the, the first team and, and gets them set up for the actual matches that they actually have to play to play the actual football. Um, and and it, without him, you'd only you, you would wonder where to what extent you know Freiburg would would waver depending on who they you know what what kind of succession planning that that they have there. So I think that you, you do put quite a lot. You have to put quite a lot of this. On strike, and and you also then have to think it further and wonder what would happen were strike to go to a, another club, a bigger club, say. I mean, because there was quite famously that time he had the opportunity to go to Schalke, wasn't there? And you have to wonder what you know. Would he have been able to have done enough work and had long enough? to make that work. And Schalke is not like Freiburg as a football club. It's an entirely <laughs> different character. Uh, it's way more intense. You've got no time. You've got minus seconds to get anything done there. Um, and, and I wonder whether or not that's really the environment that the strike really thrives in. I think one of the reasons why strike is so good is because he's, because he's at Freiburg and Freiburg is just so damn good for him. And I think that that's what, why that it's just fantastic chemistry at that club. Just, it's just a, you know, it's a traditionally a second tier club that is really at all intents and purposes, especially with the stadium move coming up, is establishing itself as a, as a good, decent, well-run, middle-class Bundesliga club. Um, and, uh, and as long as everyone's happy with that, then they should endure and remain very interesting. They play good football too. And their kits are great. They have Hummel's kits and they're just beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. I, I, I got, a, got a new forward Madison Hummel kit uh, the other week, which I, I'm very pleased with. Lovely. I do want to pump the brakes just a tiny bit, although this is pumping the brakes is probably uh, putting it too strongly. But you mentioned how Christian Streich would not really fit in necessarily at a club like Schalke or a, you know, capital B, capital C, big club. And I think you're right. And I think in many ways, his embrace of everything that is Freiburg, which is to say a club from a fairly small city with a fairly small stadium with limited financial means that just does a lot of things smart and and that even that even shows up in like how his teams play football i mean like they play highly unspectacular football but they play it very well i mean these are teams that tend to sit back they never try and dictate games or very rarely try and dictate games even when they're at home and you know they they play a lot of astute <laughs> long diagonal balls. They play a lot of, you know, sort of run and gun football, which befits the kind of, um, you know, personnel that they have, which is largely players of somewhat limited technical skill in terms of, you know, ball retention and, and you know, I, I passing. Would, but I mean, but the, they play the, it very well. They play it very well. And, but, and to be, also to be fair, let me just finish this real quick. I mean, this is a club this year who got incredibly lucky with – 
you know, how a lot of these results turned out. I mean, if you look at like the expected goals table the, or the table that, that is based on like expected goals, expected points. I mean, this is a team that would have, you know, in, in the, 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 in Buffin world would have finished about like, like 12th, but they just finished incredibly well in front of goal and, and ended up, you know, coming in seventh or eighth. I mean, for Freiburg, that's sort of like always um, a question of who comes through though. A coach like Christian Schrei has to work with the players he has at hand. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think if you look at Schrei's record over the years and the way he's played football, it's always been dependent on the players he's had at hand. I mean, they've played entertaining football, attacking football at times when he's had a better crop of players. Right now, they might not have, have the best class of Freiburg players they've ever had over the last 30 years, but... You know, they, they do have a decent bunch and he's gotten the most out of them. Yeah, but I think I think Matt's analysis is, is correct, though, because, I mean, you, you, you set them up in, in, a, in a way. I think if, if what Matt is saying is, is he's setting them up in a way to anticipate that, you know, some some years they're going to be, you know, they're going to be pretty good. They're going to be above average. Sometimes they're just going to be bang average. Um, and and that you you do your best uh, with that and have a have a system of play that works and yeah I mean you're right Matt I mean it's it, it, back in I remember we took about eight years I remember back when we first started this and before we we used to have quite a lot of uh, SC Freiburg listeners uh, and, and and used to quite av- avidly stand the club and you you worry about what you said about about Freiburg on the podcast but because, but I mean I think I don't think there's I think there's virtue in the way that they play and 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 you know more clubs of that size throughout Europe really should 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 follow that model and accept who they are I and mean, uh, you guys know I'm a Crystal Palace fan I mean Hodgson's Hodgson's Palace don't play like Strikes Freiburg, but I would suggest to you that the philosophy is very, very similar. It's like like we're a small, unfashionable club in South London, and uh, you know, we, we want to stay in the Premier League. So you know we're not going to play like Ajax from the seventies. You know we're just going to play you know like a, a a hard bastard team with some really, really pacey forwards. And and again, not the same thing as as Freiburg, but again the same philosophy. And I, I think I think that's really. Uh, laudable. Love me some Roy Hodgson, though. By the way, I have to say that because uh, he, he used to coach <laughs> some Roy Hodgson in the pod. He he did coach my team in Norway as well. He coached Viking Stavanger for a couple of seasons, and he did admirably well. Yeah, but when it comes to Christian Streicher, uh, there's just one more thing I have to say, and and you know why he's the perfect coach of Freiburg and why he probably only can work there is because he is politically very much an aware person and he speaks his mind he's a beautiful man yeah he uh he is uh you know i remember him having a i think it was a seven or eight minute uh, you know monologue about everybody coming from a refugee background during the syrian refugee crisis explaining how people had moved during the second world war the first world war and you know, if you go down your family tree, I can see it in my family tree, and most people can see it in their family tree, is that we've moved around quite a bit here in Europe, and uh, now that the world has grown intrinsically ever closer, it's only natural that people from Syria would turn up in Germany and all that. And he had such an apt description of that. It was, um, you know, it, it's, it 
was seemingly like listening to somebody who had studied this sort of thing for years and years and years. Um, and that was just a simple question by a reporter from the Badische Zeitung, which sort of spun out in that monologue. And, um, you know, I, I don't think you could do that at any other club without shaking any feathers and without anybody getting too concerned about you being too political. But at Freiburg, it's all right, because you're Christian Schreich. You're the sort of guy who actually gets your players to vote and who talks to your players about, you know, how important it is that you vote for democratic parties and not for the AFD, which is the alternative for Germany and an intrinsically right-wing party that, you know, they're just Nazis in pinstripe suits, basically. Yeah, I mean, Christian Strike is Freiburg to the core, not just not just the club, but the city. Yeah. I and mean, the city is dominated by its university. It's full of, of you know, bike-riding lefties, of which he is one. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's perfect for him. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't know. I, I don't think um, I don't think you would have had any sort of problems with that at Schalke because... Um, <laughs> Schalke. Can you imagine him working for Clemens Tullys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, oh no. my God. That would have been a very bad sitcom. Clemens, you do need to pay those East <laughs> Europeans a bit more, don't you? All right. Um, we, we had, like, maybe... Two other things that I wanted to cover. We've already gone way into overtime. I suppose we'll have to keep some of our chat about uh, the likes of Eintracht Frankfurt, about Schalke, about Hertha, for goodness sakes. That's been a fairly inventive or, or <laughs> eventful, inventive as well, but you know, mostly eventful season. We'll have to probably push that on to, to another time because, you know, how long can podcasts go? How can they, how long can they physically last are we pushing up against uh, the the outer bounds of the podcast universe? We might be. Yes, we just we just might. But you know, there was an awful lot to talk about. And uh, when it comes to Hertha, I I just saw that Jurgen Klinsmann actually apologized in a sort of backhanded way the other day, which uh, you you must have. Yeah, uh, I think he only has two two backs to his hand. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I mean, when when he said that, you know, I made some notes, and uh, I don't know how those notes actually ended up being publicized by the biggest paper in Germany is sort of like, yeah, you do know that. You leaked them yourself, you bastard. Come on. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> but yeah, um let's just leave those topics for, for another day. I mean we, we we promise we come back during the summer, right? Oh of course, of course. So so yes, uh, apologies today to uh to Marie Schulterbockham, one of our, our favorite guests, as well as Toby Giles, you know sometime host of uh, the Amazon uh, Bundesliga coverage. Uh, we, we'll, we'll be talking about your favorites soon enough. All right. Uh, Nick has just finished the last gulp of his beer. That means uh, it's probably time to end the show, uh, you know, before he has to get up and get another, I guess. Um, you know, it was really great having both of you back. Uh, it feels it feels great. I, I have to say, I, I, I'm I'm really glad we got to do this. Me too. Me too. I mean, we should do this more often. Time allowing. Yes, the, the the chemistry is just you could just feel the chemistry. I'm not certain <laughs> if you can actually feel chemistry. I suspect not. Maybe <laughs> if you feel emotional about chemistry, you can probably feel it. Anyway, I'm sticking with that. You can feel the chemistry between us. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 got a kind of a a lathery, foamy quality. That's it. So yeah, you, you can find uh, Terry DeFellin on Twitter at Terry DeFellin, uh, Nick Vildhagen at Nor Musings. Um, you can find both of their you know writings and musings uh, in, in various places. Anything you guys want to want to plug before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, yeah, I just uh, finished the book. Uh, I mean, in fairness, in fairness, I'd finished it before, but it got uh, it got um, postponed because of COVID, obviously the lockdown and everything. Uh, but it's back, baby, and I was able to write an update chapter for this season. Ah, an update for an unpublished book. How about that? Eh? Uh, and um, I literally sent um, the final revised um, chapter over to the editor before I came onto this podcast. So. Um, should hopefully be in the stores before Christmas. That's the plan. <laughs> Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow, published by the good people of Ockley Books, who only publish magnificent football books. They do indeed. Um, they, they even published John, Jonathan Harding's book, which is uh, Mensch, which was terrific there you go all right and you can find me at mr matt herman uh you know although i won't be saying very much uh twitter is still being quite cagey about uh allowing me to to log back in they thought there was some suspicious activity on the account and i can't change my password now uh, have have they fact checked your tweets have, have they it could very well be saying that you inside well violence and all yeah, they, they're always yeah. going after the wrong people right they do they do <laughs> All right. Uh, spectacular having all y'all along for the ride for another season. We're going to be sticking around uh, over the summer with, you know, sporadic content about whatever the hell we want to be talking about. We'll probably be talking about uh, European competitions as they come up and, uh, you know, other interesting random uh, happenings, either in, in the present state of German football or historical topics that take a little bit of our interest. So do stay tuned. And uh, some of that stuff might well be on our Patreon page as well. Anyway, uh, subscribe to the pod, leave us a nice review, and uh, big wet kisses from all of us. This is the Nixon Millennial.